0: Our series through these heroes of Scripture and uh, touching on some maybe less mentioned ones. I've enjoyed it immensely so far. Um, some of you may remember, or for those of you that just moved out from under your rock, um, <laughs> that uh, Queen Elizabeth passed away a few weeks ago, and uh, the, the nation of England was in mourning, and they, uh, they had the ceremonies and the, and the various things that occurred in her passing. And Hosanna is really into tracking and following what the royal family is up to. She likes to follow the, the, the princes and their spouses and former princes, I guess. I don't know. The different things that are going on. And then gossip with her sister about what's going on. And uh, I'm not so much into following the monarchy because last I checked, I'm pretty sure we fought a couple of wars that meant we don't have to remember that stuff. So that's like, eh, I don't really... Uh, I'm free, you know. I'm an American. I'm always free. So, but uh, uh, but uh, the, in, within the royal family, it's interesting because it's really encouraged to marry inside the nobility. That they really want you. It's kind of frowned upon if you go outside the nobility. It's done, but they really would prefer you marry within the nobility. It's really frowned upon, especially if you go outside of country, especially if you marry an American. Not cool, man. They're not even in the commonwealth. That's like, the, don't do that. But, uh, but um, there's like a, a real careful, like, they want people to marry a certain way. As a matter of fact, there's uh, King Edward Eighth, who was the king of, of England back in the early 1900s, 1920s. He was king famously for the shortest amount of time, I think, ever for a king of England. I think it was like less than a year he was king. And he, mar- he, he, he met this uh, American actress named Wallace Simpson and he was smitten and he wanted to marry her, but uh, it was kind of against protocol for several reasons, one of which she was a twice divorcee, which um, as king of, Eng- king of England, you are also the, uh, the, the head of the church of England and they don't allow you to marry divorcees. So that was kind of a no-no for them. But he wanted this so bad that, remember, he is king. Of England, not just, this was when the British Empire was a thing, like all around the world. He was king of it all. He gave it all up so he could marry her. And he, he became like the Duke of like Yorkshire or something, I don't know, somewhere, just so he could marry this woman so that, that he could be with her. And, and, uh, and, and, and that, was, that was devastating because they ended up having to hand the kingship down to his little brother, which technically, you know, it should have been him. So the little brother took, took uh, kingship. And then when he died after about 10 years, Queen Elizabeth became queen, and, uh, and so it's interesting how the lineage kind of passed down because um, it, it, it's really important to them to, to follow the family line, and it's so vital, and that's actually not just for England or for kings there, but actually in the ancient Near East and Middle East, as well as even modern times, it's very important family lineage. Um, the name that you have travels down through the father. A Hebrew word you may be aware of and didn't even realize it is the word ben, b-e-n, ben, the word Ben in Hebrew means son of. You've seen the movie Ben-Her. Do you know what that means? Son of her. H-U-R. Son of her. So um, uh, Benjamin, the name Benjamin in the Bible, not many people know that. That's a prefix, which means son of the right hand. So Benjamin means son of the right hand. So So Ben is this this meaning of, 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 of son of. Similarly, similarly the Arabic um, is very related to Hebrew. Um, in Arabic, it's bin and you've got like Osama bin Laden, son of Laden. So this is very important to them because this is how you track who you are, your lineage, your identity. And uh, so if I were to tell you my name, I'd say, I'm Brent, son of Todd, son of Harold, son of William. And so people know, who, oh, you're son of, son of, son of, son of that person. So, so they identify who you are, and so this idea of succession is really important in your identity, especially when you're talking about kingly succession. What is your right to the throne? Who's your dad? Who, who do you? Who is your person? So, so in, in Matthew chapter one, the writer of the Gospel of Matthew gives a genealogy of Jesus, who would be king. Jesus, right, for us, and he's expressing to them to demonstrate. Jesus' pedigree, as it were, who he is. And so here's a portion of it. By the way, if on Sunday links, if you didn't follow that, on Sunday links, you'll see the Bible app is on there too. I, I don't know if that was mentioned. Bible app is on Sunday links, so you can follow along with our message there. Just scan that QR code. Jump on that with me, if you wouldn't mind. Um, also, just in your Bibles, if you like. Matthew chapter 1, verse 4, it says this, Ram was the father of Aminadab. And Aminadab was the father of Nashon. And Nashon was the father of Salmon. And Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse. And Jesse was the father of King David. Now this is just a snapshot, a, a snippet of this genealogy that Matthew gives. I'm not going to read the whole thing because I don't want to embarrass myself, myself with all the mispronunciations of names. And you guys just go, oh, that was hard to hear. So we're just going to do this little snapshot, this portion of it. But you'll notice here that it's, there's some women's names that are listed there. And that is against normal decorum for the day. Um, as a matter of fact, in Matthew's genealogy, he lists five women in Jesus' lineage. Four of the five, we could kind of consider these women tragic Figures. and They endured incredible obstacles and brokenness in their lives. Um, some of those names that he mentions are Tamar, whose story is in Genesis 38. It's a tragic story of a woman who was shattered by neglect and abuse from a family that really should have been project, uh, protecting her. There's Rahab, who was a prostitute, whose story we're going to unpack today. There's Ruth, a woman who lost her first husband to an early death and was essentially living on welfare. And there's Bathsheba, whose husband was murdered, and her son died in infancy because of her husband's sin. So Matthew took special note of these women, but he also took care to note that Rahab was an ancestor of Jesus. And as a matter of fact, she was the great-great-grandmother of King David. So, So why would he do that? Why would he make sure to include these people in this lineage? Well, let's take a look at the story. So, I left off a couple weeks ago. We talked about the the Israelites arriving at the promised land and 12 spies were sent in to spy out the land. Remember this? And Caleb and Joshua came back with good reports, but everyone else said, it's terrible. We're going to get killed. We're going to get slaughtered. And because of that, they were sent back in the desert for 40 years. It was a terrible situation. After that 40 years, they're back on the border of the promised land, ready to step into the promised land, step into the promise. And this is something I was thinking about this week. This blew my mind. Think about this. Everyone that gathered on the shore of the Jordan River there, no one who would cross across the Jordan River was the same people that crossed across the Red Sea. That blew my mind, except for Caleb and Joshua. They hadn't seen the Red Sea parted. So when they saw the waters held up for the the Jordan, I'm sure that was like, what?! So so this was an incredible moment. There's this group of people, completely different set of people than were crossing the Red Sea, are standing on the shore of the Jordan, ready to step into the promised land. And here's what happens. Joshua 2, 1. Here's where we're going to spend most of our time in Joshua 2. It says, so then Joshua secretly sent out two spies from the Israelite camp at the Acacia Grove. And he instructed them, scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. Now, this time around, Joshua, did you notice he sent out two spies, not 12? He's like, we're not going to do that again. Last time that didn't work out so hot. So he sent two spies out, um, and he secretly sends them out. And so the two men set out, it says, And they came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there that night. So these two spies go to the home of a prostitute. And you're like, that's sketchy, right? I don't think they're doing spying. What's going on here? Well, in my opinion, this seems like a very likely place to go because if you were in this community and you saw two men going into the house of a known prostitute, would it raise many eyebrows? Probably a pretty good place to, to lay low for a while. So these two men go into this place and and um, as for Rahab and her line of work, um, the text doesn't make it clear. Um why she was in this situation as a prostitute. It doesn't say if it was voluntary or not. Um, let me tell you that in this time it was very normative for women to be what we call today trafficked, to be bought and sold for sex, and as spouses, to be sold as wives. Um, it could be, as it is today, that it was just a means of survival for her. They say that uh, uh, prostitution is the oldest world's oldest occupation, right? that it was a way to survive. It could have been lucrative, but we don't really know, but it was most likely not. Um, And it could have been a means of pagan temple worship. Throughout the Bible, we see that... um Worship of idols was often in the temples, prostitutes were used in the worship of idols. And so we don't know her situation, why she was in this situation. Um, but, but the bottom line is sexual sin was a deeply embedded sin in Can- Canaanite culture. This was one of the great reasons that God decided to destroy the Canaanites. Um, and, and to allow Israel to move in, because, um, and it was also why God was so adamant to the Israelites, when you go in, do not intermarry with these people, do not uh, uh, adopt their culture, drive them out, destroy them, because, remember what Pastor Ty talked about in very graphic detail last week, when we allow a little bit of sin in our life, we entertain just a little portion of sin, it allows, it's insidious, it takes over the entire batch right it it ruins the entire thing and so um that's what often happened through israel israel's history is they would allow sin in and it would take over and before you know it there'd be uh idols and high places across the land because they allowed sin in and so god knew that this was a problem and so when god brought the israelites into the promised land this is a great question a lot of people have was god playing favorites was he like i love the israelites the best they're my favorites (laughs) was god just playing favorites and like i hate the canaanites smush them? No. They were God's Chosen people, holy people, through which he would bring his story. But it's very important we understand. Look at what happens in Deuteronomy 9. This is what Moses says to the Israelites. Not some outsider. This is what Moses says to the Israelites. Moses says, it's not because you are so good or have such integrity that you're about to occupy their land. The Lord your God will drive these nations out ahead of you only because of their wickedness. And to fulfill the oath he swore to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It was because of the sin that was there. If the Canaanites had repented, their story would have been different. Do you hear me? In the same way... The coin is the same on the other side for the Israelites. When they sinned, when they allowed idolatry and evil and sexual sin and all these things to come into their tents, into their world, do you know what God did? He drove them out of the land. They were dispelled from the land. We know that they went to Assyria. They were taken off in captivity. They were taken in captivity to Babylon. They were taken away. So God's justice is, is, is universal. It's not like there's some sort of special thing going on here just for Israel. So continuing our story. That was a little bit of a rabbit trail, but thanks for going down it with me. That was fun. Continuing our story in verse 2, it says this, But someone told the king of Jericho, Some Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent orders to Rahab, Bring out the men who have come into your house, for they have come here to spy out the whole land. Rahab had hidden the two men, but she replied, Yes, the men were here earlier, but I didn't know where they were from. They left town at dusk as the gates were about to close. I don't know where they went. If you hurry, you can probably catch up with them. But actually, she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them beneath, beneath bundles of flax that she had laid out. So the king's men went looking for the spies along the road leading to the shallow crossings of the Jordan River. And as soon as the king's men had left, the gate of Jericho was shut. Before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up on the roof to talk with them. I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We are all afraid of you. Everyone in the land... "...is living in terror. For we have heard how the Lord God made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know what you did to uh, Shion and Og and the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below." So now swear to me by the Lord that you will be kind to me and my family since I have helped you. Give me some guarantee that when Jericho is conquered, you will let me live along with my father and mother and brothers and sister and all their family. We offer our own lives as guarantee for your safety, the men agreed. If you don't betray us, we will keep our promise and be kind to you when the Lord gives us the land. Then, since Rahab's house was built into the town wall, she let them down by a rope through the window. And the story goes on then to tell that by how the power of God, Jericho is conquered. If you haven't read the story yet, read the story. Or uh, Veggie Tales has a great rendition of it. There's little peas that march around a wall. It's very gripping. It's a great story. Um, but uh, So the, 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 by God's power, they march around the city for seven days. On the seventh day, um, the walls come tumbling down. And they ru- rush in and they take the city. And when they take the city, Rahab and her family are spared because of the actions that she took and because of her faith that she had. She was spared and her family was spared. But the thing we need to realize here is that Rahab recognized that there was something greater out there. Did you hear that? When she was meeting with these spies, she hadn't lived with the Israelites. She hadn't uh, experienced life with them or anything like that. But she recognized that there was something out there that was greater, that there was a greater thing. She had no confidence in the life that she was living or in the culture that she existed in or in the state of the world around her. She looked at the world around her and she recognized, I can't put my hope in anything that this world has to offer me. And anything in our culture, anything that this world has to offer me, I can't put my hope in it. And you wonder how long Rahab had been really questioning the legitimacy of the idols and the false gods that her people had worshipped, the ceremonies that they would go through, the things that they would do. And she'd hear stories about this God of Israel that crossed the the Red Sea, about the miracles he'd do in the desert and the wilderness. And you wonder how long she's been questioning this. And then she looks at the values and the priorities in her world around her and she goes, this ain't it. She looks at the world and what was going on and, and the places people were finding purpose, the, the places people were putting their hope and security, which quite literally was a wall. They were living in a walled city and this wall was incredible. It says that the walls were so thick, they could race chariots on top of it. It was so thick that her house was built into the wall. Her house didn't have walls. Her house was a wall. That's a big wall. So they thought, we are secure in this. And she looked at what the people put their security in. She said, this ain't it. She looked at the, the moral compass of her society. And she goes, it's untethered. It's adrift. There's no right. There's no wrong. Who's determining what's right and wrong? How do? Is it just by vote? Is it by consensus? There's nothing I can stand firmly on. Whatever her world had to offer, she goes, it, it doesn't add up. She looked at the Canaanite dream, or whatever their version of the American dream is, and said, this isn't going to fulfill me. This isn't, this isn't what I'm looking for. And she measured all of this out and she knew this won't be enough. Where is the thing I'm looking for? Whatever her world had to offer, she knew it wouldn't be enough. And that's what our world is looking for. It's looking for answers because everywhere we go looking for something to fulfill us, if it's in, uh, in entertainment, if it's in an item to own, a boat, a car, a, a house, whatever it might be, it will leave us empty. It doesn't matter what you achieve professionally. If that's where we find our purpose, that's what we drive for, that's what we search for, to find the fulfillment, it will leave us empty. And let me tell you this, this is going to blow your mind. It could even be something in ministry that you think, this is going to fulfill me. It will leave you empty if that's what you think is going to be the fulfillment. And Rahab recognized, there's something more I'm searching for, and that's what our world is looking for. I'm going to look at a video here in just a second. Um, 17 years ago in 2005, can you believe I said that? 17 years ago, it was 2005, Tom Brady, the timeless one, won his third Super Bowl ring uh, with the New England Patriots when he was with them at the time. And he was, he was interviewed by 60 Minutes later that year. And this interview was really fascinating. Uh, take a look at this with me. In June 2005, 60 Minutes correspondent Steve Croft spoke with the New England Patriots quarterback at the time, Tom Brady, about his success on and off the field. And here is what the young man at that time said about his life that surprised everyone. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and, and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, I reached my goal, my dream, my life is... Me, I thank God. It's got to be more than this. I and mean, this isn't...
1: This can't be what it's all cracked up to be. I mean, I've done it. I'm 27. And what else is there for me?
0: Steve Croft from 60 Minutes responds and says, Well, what's the answer, Tom? And Tom replies, Wish I knew. Wish I knew. This isn't just the opinion of celebrities or athletes or artists. The entire world is full of angst and searching for the answer to the question, Where can meaning be found? Now, there's discussion about who the greatest of all time in football is, but Tom Brady has to be in that discussion. This guy has achieved and attained probably more than almost anyone else, and he's still left with going, there's got to be something more. There's got to be something else, and in our world, there's so much to attain. There's so much that we can feel like, this will give me my purpose. One day, I'll look back at the end of my life, and I'll say, that was it. But it leaves us empty. And this is what exactly what, what was going on for Rahab. She looked at the world around her and she goes, It's empty. There's, there's something more. I recognize that we are living for pointlessness. And, and this is the same sentiment that the, the Russian writer uh, Dostoevsky, I said it so right in the first service and then I ruined it, Dostoevsky said when he said, The mystery of human existence lies not in just staying alive, but in finding something to live for. And our world is looking for purpose, something to live for. He's not just quoting the Bee Gees here. He's saying, we need more than just staying alive. We need something to live for, something that gets me up in the morning, something that gives me purpose, breath in my lungs that says, I'm going to to live for this. And Rahab realized there was something greater, something more, and it was worth the risk. Can can we agree that Rahab stepped way out in some risk here by lying and saying, there's no one here you're looking for? If she had been caught, that would not be a slap on the wrist, fine. Fine. She was putting her life on the line. She knew that there was something that was worth the risk and to reach for it because she counted the cost. Rahab counted the cost. She reached a point in her life she was ready to walk away from whatever she had for the hope of something new. For the hope of something new. In Luke 14, Jesus is talking, and, a, and, and to, to give you a premise of what's going on here, if you read in verse 13, it says the crowds, the multitudes were following Jesus. Do you know why? He was making blind eyes pop open and see. He was making lame people that had never walked, walk. He was doing incredible miracles. And if I saw, if if I heard about a miracle worker in town doing that, I would be in the crowd too, following him around, seeing what he could do. So there was these huge crowds of interest following Jesus, wanting to see something cool, wanting to see something amazing, wanting this moment. But then Jesus says this. He says, if you want to be my disciple, meaning if you want to be my true follower, not just part of the crowd, he says this, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Your father and your mother, your wife and children, your brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. In the next verse, he says, count the cost compares it to building a tower. He says, you've got to add it up. See if it's worth it. Are you willing to put, go all in for this? Is what I'm leaving worth it? Is what I'm walking away, is it worth walking away from it all for Jesus? Is he enough? Is the community I walk with enough for me to say, I'm going to leave it so I can go follow Jesus? The investments I've made, all these different things. And I said this in first service. I still, I still think it's true. There's a reason that the poor and the destitute found it so easy to follow Jesus. The outcasts, because they had nothing else to live for. He was all they had. Do you know the ones that had the hardest time following Jesus are the ones who built kingdoms on this earth and they were still holding on to him. And Jesus said, give it all away and follow me. And that's when they were torn. Because when they counted the cost, they said, I can't do it. Have we counted the cost? And that's what Rahab did. She counted the cost. She looked at Her society. She looked at the world around her and she goes, I want what they have. I want something new. And so Rahab took this and she grasped a new identity. Rahab took on a fully new identity. She literally traded in her citizenship. She traded in her citizenship, which is nothing to take lightly. Um, Every election cycle, when, when the presidential election comes up, there are people from both political parties that make this statement. If such and such gets elected, I am... Giving up my American citizenship and moving to Canada, right? Doesn't matter which side. They will not be my president. Oh, no, I'm out of here. And it's amazing to me how few new Canadians I really find after that election cycle. And to me, I feel like if you're going to recant your citizenship and move to another country, why not make it somewhere warm like Hawaii? Let's move to Hawaii, you know? It's another country. Yeah, that's another country. Um, You see, change is never easy, though. To to commit to change citizenship, the reason we don't see people doing that, just switching willy-nilly, like, oh, I don't like this person, I'm out of here, is because it requires leaving everything behind. It requires dropping everything and saying, I am taking my allegiances, everything I stand for, and moving it over here. And it's something that never comes easy. But... Rahab literally traded in her citizenship in Joshua chapter 6. It says, so Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute and her relatives who were with her in her house because she had hidden the spies Joshua sent to Jericho and she lives among the Israelites to this day. As of when the writer of this text wrote this, she was still living with the Israelites to that day. She had Traded in her citizenship. Remember, we talked about in the books of Deuteronomy and the law that was given, God said, don't intermarry with the Canaanites. Don't, don't intermarry with them because they'll they'll pull they'll draw you astray they'll they'll take you down the the path of, of sin and but but here Rahab literally left her old identity and she came into the community she was grafted into the Israelite community she actually married an Israelite man named Salman. I, I don't know if it's it's spelled like Salmon if if you pronounce it Salmon do you know why she married him if his name was Salmon because he was a good catch <laughs> I wrote that one myself thank you thank you But she was grafted into Israel because she changed her identity. She, she came in and was grafted into God's people. And so Rahab, the prostitute, I'm sure she, by that time she's like, can we just drop the last part of my name? Just call me Rahab. She became someone new. Her new story was written because of her faith. Her family line was changed from being a prostitute, living a day-to-day surviving or whatever her situation might be, to a redemptive story, to now her family line would ultimately lead to royalty, to King David. Her great-great-grandson was King David. People would ask David, was it your mom or your great-grandma Rahab or great-great-grandma Rahab? Yeah, that was her. She lived in the wall. That was her. She used to put quarters in my birthday cards. That's her. See, God is in the business of writing new stories. Rahab's story was a redemption story. She got a new identity. Not only is she listed in the lineage then of Jesus, but she's included in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, which is called the Hall of Faith. She's identified as one of the, the, the forebears of faith in the community of God that, that, that trusted God for all that he was. In Hebrews 11:31, it says, "...it was by faith that Rahab the prostitute was not destroyed with the people in her city who refused to obey God, for she had given a friendly welcome to the spies." It was by faith. And as our team responds this morning. Here's how Hebrews 11 ends though. And this is important. Hebrews 11 lists all these people after Rahab. It talks about some more people. But at the end of the chapter in verse 39 it says. All of these people earned a good reputation because of their faith. Yet none of them received all that God had promised. For God had something better in mind for us. So that they would not reach perfection without us. Meaning, these people were still flawed. These people still had their, their warts and their, their mistakes they made, just like we do, but God had a better plan in store. It wasn't that these people would just like attain some sort of level of perfection, but rather God had something better in store, and that's kingdom of heaven citizenship. Not just Israel citizenship, not just being the mother of a future king, but citizenship in the kingdom of heaven through what jesus did for us see what what the story is all about is that our past does not exclude us from the opportunity of being kingdom citizens a great future doesn't require a great past and i know that there's so many in this room you'd say my past is not great pastor brent my past has some really dark things my past is broken. I have been wounded by people around me. I have endured abuse. I have endured sexual abuse, rape. I have, I have gone through some incredibly dark valleys. And there are stories that I can't even fathom that people have walked through that are sitting in this room right now. You're sitting in a chair, and there are stories that you carry that are deep wounds. And you say, "This story is it even possible to be redemptive?" And I'll tell you, yes, it is. That we serve a God who is in the business of writing new stories, the redemptive stories. He can take a future that does not have a great, uh, take a story that doesn't have a great past, and write a new future. But let me ask you: Does what you're living right now fulfill you? Or are you still searching? Does what you're living out right now fulfill you or are you still looking for purpose? Are you trying to find it in the world around you through through things you can acquire, relationship statuses, affirmations? Johnny Cash said this towards the end of his life. He said, I, try, I have tried drugs and a little of everything else and there's nothing in the world more soul satisfying than having the kingdom of God building inside of you. That guy lived quite a life. He had experienced everything you can imagine. Fame, relationships, substance abuse. And he said, none of it compares to having the kingdom of God that's building inside of you. So as you evaluate the world around you, as you count up the cost, are you willing to leave it behind for the hope of a better promise. Are you ready to take on this new identity, this new citizenship? Because it means recanting the old citizenship. I'm no longer a part of that world. I'm no longer a part of that, but I'm taking on kingdom citizenship. I'm ready to step in faith into this new thing. See, the the reason Matthew intentionally included Rahab in Jesus' lineage was because he was expressing to the people that were going to read it. He's writing this letter, telling the story of Jesus to them, and he wants them to understand it doesn't matter what your past has been. It doesn't matter what's been done to you or what you've done to yourself, what people have said about you or what you've said about yourself. You have been grafted in to the family of Jesus, just as Rahab was grafted in. You've been brought into this new family and it doesn't matter what your past is. He knows it. He knows better than anyone else. A.W. Tozer said this. He said, Jesus Christ knows the absolute worst about you. Nevertheless, he is the one that loves you the most. He loves you and he wants to graft you into his family. Your past does not define your future. But it's only through him and that's kingdom citizenship. So this morning, I want to give you this opportunity to respond and say, Jesus, I want to be grafted into this family. I've been searching for it in other places. I've experienced brokenness. I've experienced all these things. And maybe like Tom Brady, maybe I've even attained things and acquired things. And, uh, and, and there's a level that I'm trying to get to, but it's left me empty. And there's a void that I'm trying to fill. Let me tell you, it's only through Jesus that we can have that fulfilled. So right now, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I want to give you this opportunity. Right now in this moment, between you and the God of the universe, He's here right now. And He's calling you. The Bible tells us in the book of Luke that he pursues you like a lost sheep, like a son that wandered away. He waits for you. He's watching for you to come home. And right now, if you've never trusted Jesus with your life and with your soul, or maybe you've been running hard and you've been running fast in the other direction and it's time to come home, I want to invite you to that. So with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you're in this room right now, you say, I need this Jesus that you're talking about to restore my story, to redeem what's been broken, what I've broken in myself, what others have broken in me. And I want a new story written, Pastor Brent. That's me. I want you to raise your hand and raise it high. Raise it high across this room. Yes. Yes. Yes, I see these hands. Keep them up, keep them up. Who else joins these? Thank you, thank you, thank you. You can put your hands down. Right now church, we're going to pray in just a moment. And this prayer is just a response from what God is working and doing in our hearts. The Bible says in the book of Romans that when we confess with our mouth, that means to speak out that Jesus is our Lord. And when we believe it, that God raised Him from the dead, that He's alive today, then we will experience salvation. So it's about believing and confessing, speaking out that He is our Lord. So we're going to pray this prayer together. And this is just a reflection of where our heart is at. So I want everyone in the room, whether you raised your hand, whether you meant to raise your hand, or you've already given your life to Jesus, I want you to raise your voice and say this with me. Say, Dear Jesus, Thank you for redeeming me from my brokenness, From my lost state. I believe you are the son of God. I believe you lived a perfect life. I believe that you died for me. So that I could know God. And I believe that you rose again. So from this day forward Jesus. I make you my Lord and Savior. I will serve you. And you alone. I believe you are going to write a new story. A redemption story in my life. In your name. Amen. Amen. With those that raised their hands, and there was quite a few this service that said, I'm giving my life to Jesus. Can I tell you, heaven is throwing a party right now. It says that there is a celebration for the lost ones that come home. We celebrate with you. It's exciting. Let me also tell you, it's not just a momentary prayer, but it's a decision that says, from this day forward, I'm going to follow you, Jesus. And that's discipleship. And what we want you to do is get on the path of what it means to follow Jesus now. And we want to help you in that. So here's what I ask. We're new to our connection cards now as a church family. We all do the connection card together. It's uh, on the screen, the QR code, or it's on the Sunday links and the seat backs in front of you. But on your connection card, will you do something for us? There's a box that says, I decided to follow Jesus. Will you mark that? Because we want to reach out to you and help you along the path of what it means to follow Jesus. We're going to get material in your hands and get you plugged into a community that's also following Jesus. It's easier to to follow or to do something when you're going along with someone else, right? Um, What's the saying? If you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far... Go with someone else, right? So we are supposed to walk this life together. So, so um, I, I encourage you, let us know that you made that decision because we want to connect you with community and get you going forward in your walk with Jesus today, okay? So mark that in your connection card. Everyone else, um, will you please let us know you're the, that you're here? Will you let us know what we can be praying with you about? If there's something that's on your heart, our board of elders prays every single, now it's Tuesdays, it was Wednesday. Tuesday at 6 a.m. over all of these requests, we read them together and we pray over them. Um, We are faithful to it because we are the shepherds of God's flock. We take that very seriously. So let us know what we can be praying with you about. We will agree with you in that. Um, If there's a a praise report, those are my favorite. I love those. Let me know what God's been doing, the miracles he's been doing in your life, how he's coming through for you in amazing ways. It edifies the church. So mark that in your connection card. So we are going to play Jeopardy music for about 15 seconds while you finish filling that up. Okay? Before we receive our morning tithes and offerings, we are going to have a disco there. Um, Before we receive our morning tithes and offerings, we we have a couple announcements we want to give. Um, First and foremost, uh, to tell you the direction for our community life director that was uh, uh, speaking of abdicated by Ty as he stepped into ministry in Washington. I'm excited to introduce someone to you. Um, They've been... uh, We have our new Community Life Director. They've been in uh, vocational ministry and children's ministry as well as serving in uh, church administration. Um, They've served in youth ministry and in worship ministry and technical ministries. um, Served in women's ministry as a director and served in this church body faithfully for 15 years. And I'm super excited to introduce our new Community Life Director, my wife, Hosanna Wagner, who's going to be stepping into that role. Um, I am thrilled to be able to work in a, a more formal way with Hosanna in, in this leadership role. I think that she is just the perfect person to, to step into this role, that God has been preparing for the, her for this in many ways. She went to Bible college with me, and first of all, she went to Bible college thinking, I will never marry a pastor. It was a, a, it was a uh, liberal arts school, too. She was an English major. She's like, I love Jesus, but I will not marry one of his pastors. And then I met her, and I was like, "No, oh, yes, you will. So... <laughs> Um, but, uh, but, but, you know, God works all things together for good, and there was that, that first two years where you're taking Bible classes, whether you're an English major or not. You're taking a lot of those theology courses, and so um, she's been prepared in many ways already for this role, and she's already served in so many ways um, in, in different, uh, both uh, professionally but also in volunteer roles, and so I'm excited. She steps in to come alongside uh, our ministry leaders, our group leaders, um, our, our, de- our department heads as she leads these teams and uh, I think that this is going to be a, a fantastic new season for our church, and I'm so excited. So um, can we pray for Hosanna? As she, she's already been here for two weeks. She was working alongside Ty as they were handing things over. There was a really nice, smooth transition. Um, our, our, uh, uh, I'm, just, I'm excited about our future and what la- lays ahead. So let's extend our hands towards Hosanna and pray over her right now as she steps into this new role. Jesus, right now, we pray for this woman of God and this uh, incredible... Uh, thing that lies in front of us, Lord, the, the leadership of your church and these these groups that are so vital, the community, the the, the lifeblood of this church. Lord, I pray that you would give her inspiration and in new ways to take us as a, as a community. That this church would have new outreaches and new connection points for families and individuals. That we would see people plugged in and connected in profound new ways that we've never seen before. I pray, Lord, that you would bless her in the season ahead. That you would give her new energy, Lord. Where when, when, when the, the, t- the seasons of, of ministry that feel tiring, that feel like exhausting, and you're the only one there. I pray that you would lift her head you bring people alongside her that would edify her and lift her up, that would spur her on, Lord. And we pray for a, just a profitable season in, in, in the days and the months and the years ahead. We thank you for it, Jesus. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Well, I'm also excited to tell you we have some other people to announce to you in the coming couple of weeks who will be joining our, our leadership team as well. But you've got to be here for that. We're gonna save that. So that's uh, that's coming up. So um, we've got other people that are gonna be joining our team in really exciting ways, so so make sure you make note of that. With that said, um, we do have a couple other announcements uh, to make you aware of.
1: Okay, so first of all, I'm really excited to get to announce that, ladies, this one's for you. Our fall gathering is coming up in just a couple of weeks. On Friday, October 14th, right here at New Life Church, we are having a chili cook-off. This one's for the girls. It's like that song. Um all women are invited. You can sign up right now or later this week, but I'd love to hear from you today using our Sunday link. So if you scan that QR code that's right in front of you, it'll, there's a there's a link right there that says Women's Chili Cook-Off. All the information that you need is right there, but if you would like to, or if you would prefer to fill out your connection card and let us know that way, that's totally fine as well. Some quick things. Uh, this is a this is a cook-off in its truest sense, so if you would like to submit an, uh, an entry, maybe you have like a world-famous, top-secret family recipe that all your co-workers and neighbors just love, we want to love it too, so bring it, <laughs> enter it, there will be voting and prizes will be given out to so go along with the chili, we'll have cornbread and just myriad toppings, and if you're heat sensitive, we will also have some vanilla ice cream to kind of just round it out. Someone someone, let me know that they would be responsible for providing the Tums bar, so if you are sensitive in that way, we'll have some Tums available for you, but don't let that deter you from coming and inviting a friend. Uh, that's next Friday in just two weeks, October 14th, right here at New Life Church. Girls, I can't wait to see you there. It's yes. going to be a great
0: time. And as, as lead pastor, I feel it's my responsibility to make sure that everything goes smoothly. So I will probably be there to try the chili as well. Um, I also think it's a good idea to put like the number of chilies hot things are on a little thing in front of each chili. So people are fairly warned. you know, you don't know what you're stepping into. I'm just giving ideas here. I'm just kind of throwing them out. I'll be there to make sure it goes okay. But uh, uh, some other things we want you to be aware of. Uh, youth convention is coming up quick. It's at the end of this month, or not even all the way to the end of this month. So make sure you sign your students up, 6th through 12th grade. It's here in Eugene. Um, last week was the early bird deadline, so now you're going to pay out of the nose. Um, so it's, no, it's it's 20 bucks extra to, to go to youth convention. It's still very affordable, so make sure you sign your student up for that. Um, they'll be home every night because it's here in Eugene. So it's going to be a great time. Uh, coming up in October 13th through 5th That's really soon. Uh, deadline is the 10th. So you got to get them signed up by the 10th.
1: And then finally, if we are in week three this week of midweek equip. How many of you have been coming to midweek equip? Just a yes. quick show of hands. It's been
0: great. How about my clap?
1: Um, something that we noticed is that as we've opened the coffee shop at 5.30 p.m., by the way, if you didn't know that the coffee shop is open at 5.30 p.m. Hour on early. Wednesday nights, an hour early, that's happening. Our team is staffing the coffee shop, and it's great. They've got coffee and baked goods available, but we also understand that it's dinner time. A lot of you are coming right from work or right after sports team practices, and you're already picking up dinner on your way home come by the church, bring it with you, come have dinner with us. Just consider it like a great warm-up period of being in fellowship. And Pastor Brent doesn't yet know this. I tried to signal him earlier, but I'm going to say, Pastor Melissa, let me know that our youth group is only less than $200 away of making their giving goal for youth convention. And so this, I know that's, that's to be applauded. Our students have been hard at work. They want, we are a giving church. We are fostering that and discipling that, and our students have stepped up to the plate. They're less than $200 away. This Wednesday night, Pastor Melissa and her team will have slices of pizza available for oh, sale. Nice. So that kind of solves the problem mm. of how do I eat dinner right before midweek equip? Be here. 5.30, we'll get you fed. Yeah. It's, a, it's a great fundraiser. Help us back our students. They have risen to the challenge. They are answering the call Let's send them, church. Let's send them. Yeah,
0: yeah, I like it. Awesome. Um, Yeah, we noticed on Wednesday there was like three or four families all eating dinner. We're like, we should get everybody to do this. You know, if they, if if you got your family, you grab everybody, just come bring your dinner to go or whatever. We'll bring in tables and chairs, and and we'll bring in tables and chairs, set up as many as we need. So it'd be a blast. All right. Well, with that said, we're going to receive this morning's tithes and offerings. So, ushers, if you'll prepare yourselves, church, if you will prepare yourselves. Thank you for your faithfulness and giving. God is good. Amen. What a great day in the house of the Lord together. Let's give with joyful hearts, with thankful hearts. This is out of response, we, right? We just talked about um, worship as response to what, who, our, what, who our king is and what he's done for us. Um, we aren't earning anything. This was already his. This is an act of obedience and response to his faithfulness. So Lord, right now, we thank you for what you've entrusted to us. And we take but a portion of what you've entrusted to us and give it back as an act of faith that you will provide for tomorrow and the day after that. This is the first of the month. For some of us, first fruits just came in. Give us the faith to give when it's scary. Give us the faith to give when we don't always understand how it's going to work out. Show us your mighty hand, oh God. We thank you for it, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's give this morning. church let's stand together church as we go father i pray over your church your people this morning that everywhere our feet take us we would bring the good news that we would share what you have done in our lives the redemptive stories lord God, I pray that you would weave new stories for people that have brought great pain into this room today, Lord, that you would show your hand at work in mighty ways, that you would uh, reveal to them how you're at work that we've been missing, perhaps, for so much time. And we thank you, God, that you are a God that works all things together for the good of those who love you, for those who are called according to your purposes. In your name we pray.